Yeah, 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 man, so glad you guys are all here. Uh, for everybody watching online, I'm so happy that you're joining us as well. Uh, today, as I often say, I'm excited. Uh, I, I, I've been telling people I'm trying not to say that as much because I don't think that people actually believe me. But it's true, like I am genuinely fired up about what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks because uh, I believe it is one of the biggest issues that is facing not just us as a church, but our city, the nation, uh, maybe even the world. Check this out. Did you know that in 2019, the census, there was 11% of adults that would say that they are dealing with anxiety and depression? 11%, 2019, 11%. Same survey, 2021, 44%. 44%. Now, here's the thing. I don't even have to tell you that stat because you're either feeling it or know someone who is going through it. There is something happening. There is a fight that is going on inside of us, and it's starting to spill out out of us too. Right? I was on a flight, and, and, and we had to re-go to the gate so that they could escort someone who was being unruly off the plane. Come to find out, they have to do that all the time now. It used to just be every once in a while, and it's like common now where people are being asked to have to get off the flight that they were on because they're just losing their minds. Teachers are resigning in unprecedented rates. Because kids are being so unruly, they're like, I've had enough. I, I can't do this anymore. And it's because there is a fight that is going on inside of us that's starting to spill, spill out of us. Now, here's the thing. I believe that there's a better way. I believe that there is a better way. My hope for us today and really throughout this series comes out of our anchor passage, which is Romans 12, verse 1. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I believe that we don't just have to endure what we're going through emotionally, what we're experiencing Mentally, I believe we don't just have to fight it. I actually believe we can be transformed in it. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm asking that as we lean in to your word today and we begin to understand through your word what it means for us to be a people that walk in freedom. Freedom. Freedom, not just of addictions and dependencies, Lord, but freedom in our hearts and in our minds, freedom emotionally, Lord, healing and restoration in the areas that no one sees. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And in high school, I dabbled a little bit in playing the trumpet. Okay, and uh, I, I loved it. It was a ton of fun, and I, in, in high school specifically, got to play a few solos throughout my band career. Now, my senior year, 
the solo that I was given was extraordinarily difficult. Super, super hard. Technical. It, it was hard to play. It was in a high, the high register, which is also hard to deal with. And it was just, a, and it was very exposed. So it was like everybody is going to hear everything that I do and don't do in this solo. And so I am practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing because I know that in a few short months, I'm going to be standing in front of thousands of people and everyone is going to look at me and what comes out of my trumpet, I will be remembered by. (laughs) All right. So here's the thing. I'm feeling the pressure of this coming competition. And so I was already practicing a lot. But I was like, dude, I've got to practice even more. Like, I I need to make sure that I am so prepared that when I stand up there, there's not a doubt in my mind that I can execute what's been put in front of me. Now, as it's getting closer and closer and closer, I start feeling that my embouchure, which is the kind of the the muscles in your face and your lips and, and everything that works together for you to actually make sounds out of the trumpet, it starts feeling weird. And, and I, you know, my initial thought is like, dude, this competition's in a couple of weeks. Like, how in the world did, did I lose my ability to play? Like, I need to practice more. I need to try to regain the strength that I once had in my embouchure. So I turned my practice up a notch. And so I'm practicing even longer and I'm spending even more time playing. And all along the way, my mouth is feeling weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. Now, of course, I tell no one, all right, because I'm a 17-year-old dude at this point. (laughs) Right? And so I'm trying to figure this out on my own. General rule, not smart. Okay? If you're 17, ask for help. If you're 47, ask for help. Okay? But, but it's like, I, I am, I'm telling no one. I'm not telling my, my band teacher. I'm not telling my, the guy who gave me private lessons. I'm not communicating with my parents. Nothing. I'm telling them I feel great. But man, I go to my room and practice and I'm like, what is happening? And I wake up the morning of the competition, true story, and it feels like my face is numb. And I begin to panic because I'm going, oh, dude, the absolute worst case scenario has happened. I forgot how to play the trumpet. Okay, like, have you, do you ever have those like horrifying dreams where you like show up at school and you're not wearing any clothes? Or like you go to your locker and you're late for class, but you can't remember the combination. Okay, like, so this is living that. I wake up the day of a competition and I've forgotten how to play the trumpet. Like, I cannot do it. I, I start warming up and literally nothing happens. No sound is coming out. I am freaking out. Of course, I tell no one. I go up to the school to meet everybody. We do a big warm-up together. I still can't play. I tell no one. We're at the stadium. Mega competition. Literally thousands of people in the stadium. We are marching on the field. I didn't pray in tongues before that moment, but I think I got the gift. I'm walking out on the field, and I'm like, God... I know you're real. 
You start making deals with the Lord. Lord, I, I'm telling you right now, I will serve you. I will go to China. You know, I mean, I will do anything you say, Lord. We start, I can't play. My solo comes up, I march out to the front of everybody with fear and trembling, knowing that I'm getting ready to make the biggest public failure of my life. Like I can see it coming and I walk out and literally the band kind of like cuts and it gets quiet and I'm supposed to go like, and it's like, And it's not like a little short solo. I have to stand there in suffering, trying my hardest with nothing happening, <laughs> pretending like I'm a pro, just getting into it. You know, just. <laughs> Walk off the field. And man, I'll tell you one thing. I've never been yelled at more in my life. My band director was like, you are a horrible human being. And I'm like, actually, you're a horrible human being. I'm dying right now, okay? I tried. But here's what happened. I actually over-fatigued my embouchure. And so when I was feeling all this weird stuff going on in my face, it was my body telling me, hey, dude, you need to chill out. But instead of listening and leaning into it, I tried to fight through it. And what ended up happening is I ran into the wall of my body saying, and we will stop. <laughs> Everything you're going through in life is going to catch you. Everything you're walking through in life is going to catch you. You cannot fight through the walls that you are going through. When you hit a wall in your life, it is not to show you the limits of who you are. It's actually an invitation for you to lean in and experience more of who God says that you are. But we have to learn to listen to the walls we're encountering versus trying to break through the walls we're encountering. Am I talking to anybody today? It's not about fighting through it always. Sometimes it's about leaning into it. And, and here's what I want you to write down. Walls are invitations. Walls are not limitations. Walls are invitations. Walls are not limitations. Look, we, we hit all kinds of walls in our life. We hit walls emotionally with anxiety and depression and fear. We hit walls physically. Our bodies shut down. Things start going haywire. We, we hit walls in our faith. We come into like a faith crisis where all of a sudden you go some, through something difficult and you begin to question everything that you believed up to that moment. And here's why. We, we are made up of three unique, independent, but inner working parts. We are made up of body, 
soul, and spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, though outwardly we're wasting away, our body is wasting away, inwardly our spirit is being renewed day by day. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. When we hit a wall in our life, most of the time it's when those three aspects of who we are get out of balance. So you get a new job. You are promoted in the natural and with that there comes there comes a spiritual promotion that's needed and a soul promotion that's needed. Your body is your physical self, right? Like what makes you you. Your soul is like the personality. It's the uniqueness of who you are. And then the spirit is the godness that is breathed within us. And so you get a promotion in your physical self, but if your body and, I mean, if your soul and your spirit aren't also catching up with that, you are gonna find yourself overwhelmed at what's happening at your new job. Have you experienced this? You walk into something that is new and there is an aspect of you that is not actually ready for that. And so that distance between where you are in one part of yourself and where you are in another part of yourself, that distance creates a lot of pain and confusion inside. And so we begin to get overwhelmed. We begin to feel out of sorts. Like we begin to question everything because all aspects of who we are is not growing together. The reality is, is that we hit walls that don't just affect us emotionally. They don't just affect us physically, but they dramatically affect us spiritually. This is what I feel like is happening collectively across our nation. Is that we went through a difficulty, a chaotic shutdown. And in the middle of that, it was like we didn't have a spiritual side of us that could hold us as our bodies are going through a national challenge. So you have Hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people that are now rejecting the faith because of the distance between where they were experiencing in their body and their lack of growth of who they understood God was in the spirit. Because we are body, soul, and spirit. These walls that we hit in life are not to be wasted. Can I say that boldly? These walls we hit in life are not to be wasted. These walls we hit in life don't just show us the limitations of who we are. They don't just demonstrate to us the limits of our capacity, the limits of our faith. These walls actually are invitations into more of God. If you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me to 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 18 and chapter 19. We're going to be kind of moving in and out of both chapters. They're telling one big story. And this moment in Scripture that, that I like to describe is this is a classic. It is the best of times and it is the worst of times at the same time. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life? 
where you're like, dude, this part of me crushing, this part of me dying. (laughs) Why? Because your body, soul, and spirit. And we don't always grow together. Have you felt that? That sometimes God is doing something in you spiritually and you feel like the spiritual side of who you are, your understanding of God, your growth in God, your hunger for the scripture are going through the roof, but you still have all of this pain and junk that's been contaminating your soul. And so that begins to throw off all that God is doing. What we're going to find in the story is that God can move in you and actually through you powerfully, but that does not erase the trauma that is in you. Ooh, somebody needs to amen that. Because sometimes I think we're like, oh, but God is moving, but why am I hurting? And so we start to judge ourselves like we must not be, but that's not it at all. It's because we need to be healed. We need freedom. We, we, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Here in 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet at the time was a man named Elijah, and, and God had been using him powerfully uh, in these days to declare the supremacy of God primarily and the power of God over the earthly God of the day, which was Baal. And, and what had happened is actually what had happened is that that King Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, married this chick named Jezebel. And when he married her, when she moved in with him, she brought more than just her clothes. She brought some baggage. So she didn't just bring the bags that she was traveling with, she brought the bags of her past. So when she showed up in the palace, she started to talk about that there is this other God named Baal and he's pretty cool and maybe we should start worshiping him too. And so King Ahab starts worshiping Baal over the God of Israel. Remember I talked on Vision Sunday about first and second kings. It's kind of like this yo-yo experience of what it looks like to follow God and then what it looks like when you reject God. So here we are in 1 Kings 18, and we are in a season of rejecting God. And so King Ahab is not just turning away personally, he's leading the people away from worshiping the one true God, and now he is introducing idol worship, idolatry in the house of God. And then on top of that, Jezebel is like, hey, let me get all the prophets of the one true God together. But she wasn't wanting to just talk to them and convince them that they were wrong. She wanted to murder them. Now, right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of the king's court, in all of this chaos, can you imagine how crazy this would have been to experience? Right in the middle of that, there's this dude named Obadiah. Obadiah somehow was unscathed by all of this craziness that was going on. And he was the CEO. He was the palace administrator. He was the CEO of King Ahab's kingdom. He ran everything, but his heart was not following the way of the people. He stayed true to the one true 
God. And so he began to spread the word to the different prophets that were in and those who followed the one true God. And he said, come, I will protect you and I will make sure that you are fed and that you are safe. And so he gathered hundreds of prophets and he hid them. And there was a massive famine going on because how many of you know that when you step outside of the favor of God, it's not just a physical implication, there is a practical implication. And so this people was in a drought, they were in a famine, they were running out of food, they were running out of water, and somehow Obadiah was like, hey, I'm going to make sure that you guys are fed and taken care of and safe from what Jezebel is trying to do. I'm not going to be preaching about him right now, but I want you to understand that no matter where you are, there is an Obadiah for you. Look, you are not alone. God has people for you that are going to fight for you, that are going to protect you, that are going to cover you, that are going to believe with you that there is one God and his name is Jesus. And they're going to stand with you and they're actually going to do things on your behalf to make sure that the schemes of the enemy will not have their way against you. God put Obadiah where he put him because he knew that Elijah was coming. And the king said, we have to find some grass for our livestock to eat. And so let's split up in teams and go scout out and see if maybe there's one area in our kingdom that still has some nutrition and nutrients. And of course, Obadiah gets sent out and he runs into Elijah. And I love it. Elijah looks at him and he says, go tell your master I'm here. Ooh, he was a thug, man. I'm telling you, bro, you read this, you're like, this dude was an, uh, an OG. Uh, if you don't know what that means, he was a gangster. Okay, I mean, he was like, just go tell Ahab I'm here. If we jump forward in the story, Elijah finds himself in front of King Ahab and just lets him have it, rebukes him, tells him, you know, this get, reads in the riot act. What are you doing? You rejected everything. You blew it. The cool thing is, is that God doesn't just call you to stand up for righteousness. He meets you with power in your place of boldness. God is calling us to be bold in these days. You hearing me? God is calling us to be bold in these days. And the level of our obedience and boldness will be met with a demonstration of his power and his glory. And here we have Elijah in front of the king and he basically says, look, God is gonna demonstrate his power here. And I'm not going to need to convince you that God, the one true God, is more powerful than this counterfeit God that you have been worshiping. God is going to show you. Verse 22 in 1 Kings 18, it says, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. This was Elijah speaking. But Baal has 450 
Get two bulls for us and let Baal's prophets choose one of them for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. Dude, I wish I was there. Like, I cannot wait to see the DVD special features of this in heaven. That's going to be the first thing I do. I'm like, yo, dial up 1 Kings 18, please, real quick. I want to see how this went down. Watch what happens. Then he called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah, remember, he's a thug. He starts taunting them. Shout louder. Oh, my gosh, it was freaking awesome. You got this one dude, you got 450 people like doing a rain dance and a fire dance around an altar being like, come, Baal. And you got this one dude sitting back just being like, maybe he can't hear you. Literally, he says, like, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. I love it. Like, come on. He, man, just talk a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's out of town. Maybe he's sleeping. So they shouted louder, and they started slashing themselves. They're getting desperate. They start slashing themselves with swords and spears as there's their custom until blood starts flowing. And it says that midday passes and they continued their, their, their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, remember, Elijah, not just a homie. He's a thug. So he says, hey, y'all help me real quick. Let's go get some water. Let's get some jugs of water. Pour it on my altar. Oh, that's not enough. Go get some more. Pour it on. This dude has them pour so much water on his altar that there is pools of water collecting at the base of the wood. And this is what it says. Amazing. Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, that they are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the, even the stones. It also licked up the water that was in the trench and all the people saw this and they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. And so they seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the valley and slaughtered them there. God showed up in power in the face of idolatry and in the face of seeming like he was outnumbered. God demonstrated himself in a powerful way. And some of you are like, wow, I thought we were talking about getting emotionally free. What in the world does this have to do 
with that fair. But listen to what happens in chapter 19. You don't understand the impact of chapter 19 if you don't quite see the victory of chapter 18. You have to see the victory of 18. You have to see the demonstration of the power of God in an unprecedented way to defend, reveal, and restore the people of God to himself. You have to see that before you can see the impact of chapter 19. Because it says this, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. And now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, but it ever so, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. What? The dude that just literally called fire from heaven to earth? That with his hand killed 400 homies? And now he is so afraid that he runs for his life. I know we're in and out of a bunch of scripture this morning, but are you still with me? Are you tracking with me? I, I want you to see that even on the backside of a great victory in your life, you're not free from the trauma and fear and frustrations you've encountered in your life. God can do a great work through you, and you can still need him to do a great work in you. Can I say that again? God can do a great work through you. And you can still need him to do a great work in you. Elijah had just seen God do the impossible. I mean, what in the world? Amazing demonstration that God can do anything. But he's running and hiding in a desert, and he's pleading with God to take his life. This is what he said. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life, and then he came to Beersheba in Judea, and he left his servant there. Look at the progression. He's fearful. He goes to this town, and then his people, his community that's with him, he separates himself. He says, look, hey, you stay here. This is what happens when we run into a wall in our life, we begin to isolate ourselves. We don't just run away from the threats we're hearing, we run away from the people that God has given us to fight with us. He tells his servant, stay there, while he himself went on a day's journey. Homie went on a mega hike. Not like I'm going to go down the block. He's like, I'm going to go so far where I'm not even going to be able to see you or even hear your voice. He goes on a day's journey into the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, and he comes to this broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Listen to his prayer, and just tell me, have you prayed this? I have had enough. I have had enough, he said. Take my life. I can't do it anymore. 
I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm not strong. I don't have courage. I don't have faith. Elijah had hit a wall. He, he had had enough. He was exhausted. He was tired. And I want us to see how God gave him an invitation at this wall of fear and frustration and pain. And he didn't just leave him there and say, you've hit the end of yourself. He invited him into more of who he was. Because our wall is not a limit. Our wall is an invitation. 1 Kings 19, 9 says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love that question. Because it implies that Elijah had gone where God did not tell him to go. What are you doing here, Elijah? When you run into a wall in your life, when you're dealing with anxiety, when you're dealing with depression, when you're dealing with fear, when you're walking through the impacts of trauma, when you're overwhelmed at what's going on in your life, where you go in that place matters. Where you go in that place matters. If you are in a season where you're going through a lot of pain and trauma and you surround yourself with people that are going through a lot of pain and trauma, that might not be the best place for you. If you feel like you're in the wilderness, God's saying, hey, you already feel lost in your soul. Why are you walking around in the wilderness? Why are you here? God looks at Elisha and says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. This is what Elijah's saying back to God after he says, why are you here? The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put up prophets, put prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And then verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I want you to see that when God said, why are you here? Elijah didn't answer the question. He told him what he was feeling. This is what we do, right? We hit a wall. Our eyes go to all that we've done and all we feel like that people around us haven't done. We translate that to God too. We hit a wall and we hit a faith crisis and it's like, look at all that I've done for you, God. Look at all I did. And look what's happening. Culture's rejecting you. I'm all alone. No one's standing with me. I used to have people that were for me. They're all gone. And God says, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. First key to leaning into what God wants us to do when we hit those walls in our life, first key is we have to get in his presence. 
We've been talking about this and we're going to keep talking about it. But God's direction for Elijah was go to the mountain. My presence is going to pass by you. Why? Because our first step in restoration, that first invitation is in to encounter more of him. Because it's in encountering more of him that we will then turn into him. We will become more into his likeness. And when we get more in his likeness, the things that are troubling us here on the earth find their rightful place in the picture of heaven. What happens reveals how God meets us when we're in a painful place because it, it, it's, it's the classic. God show, it's like there's this great powerful wind. It tore through the mountains. It shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was like an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. The earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. You see, what God was showing Elijah is that he knew Elijah had just seen God show up in power. So he was looking for him in the big display of his power. And what he was showing Elijah and what he's telling us is that he's not just in the big crazy things. He's in the everyday things. That same power that you saw displayed in just is an unbelievable way, just like you're not even able to wrap your mind around it. That same power is in a whisper that's speaking to you right now. He's like, I can move in power and I can move softly in power. I can move loudly in power and I can move softly in power. And God was showing Elijah that his presence wasn't just in the big moments of the, these massive displays, but it was in the quiet moments of his personal life. And then he, the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? And Elijah just goes back into his spiel. Look at all I did for you, man. Look what I did. I'm exhausted. I'm whooped. I'm alone. All these people want to kill me. And then listen to what God tells him to do. He tells him to go to the mountain. He meets him in power. And then he gives us the second key to leaning into our limits and not being crushed by our limits. He says, go back the way you came. Ooh, I wish I had more time because this is good. Go back the way you came. You, you know when you are walking, not listening to the whisper, you miss what God has given you along the way. And so he, he says, I want you to go back the way you came. The exact way that you came, I want you to go back. I want you to walk back the way that you came. And hear me, when we hit walls in our lives, when you're going through a hard time, when you're feeling the pain and trauma of relationships falling apart and accusation and fear and anxiety and depression, you don't need a new revelation of God. You need the last revelation you got from God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Elijah didn't need God to say something new to him. He needed to go back. He needed to go back to who God had been to him. He needed to walk back. He didn't in his pain go, God, show yourself. He goes, God, you have been amazing. You have been faithful. You have been kind. I'm going to go back the way I came. I've wandered off and I'm going to head back the way that I came. And you know, God is so good and gracious that even though Elijah had wandered off the way that he had for him, God had placed people along the way for him that he didn't see on his way there because his eyes were on himself. Oh, look at all I've done for you, God. All these people are trying to kill me. Now he's gotten the presence of God. His eyes are off of himself and he walks and he's like, oh, look at that young dude right there. I feel like there's an anointing for him. And he runs into Elisha who gets the double portion of anointing that Elijah had. And where did he find him? On the walk back the way that he came. So that means that he walked past, he walked past the person he was supposed to invest in and walk with and pass the mantle to. He walked past him and he didn't even see him because he was overwhelmed at the wall versus leaning into what God had for him at the wall. Am I, am I, am I talking to anybody today? The last thing I'm going to say is that when you hit those walls in your life, what God begins to tell Elijah is he said, I have reserved verse 18. I've reserved 7,000 in Israel. You know how many times in chapter 18 and in chapter 19, Elijah said, I was alone. Nobody believes what I believe. I'm by myself. God goes, hey, oh, by the way, I got 7,000. I got 7,000 people in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Look, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. You, you, you are not by yourself going through what you're going through. You're not by yourself believing what you're believing. It might feel like it. You might feel like you're the only person at your work or at your school that believes that Jesus is who he is and did what he said that he did. But you're not alone. You're not alone. There's an Obadiah for you. There's hundreds of people that Obadiah has that you don't even know yet. You got 7,000 other people that have not bowed down and they might just be looking for somebody to stand with them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And to stand up and when you stand up, you look around and you say, oh, I guess I'm not alone. I guess I'm not by Myself, I'm going to end with a story. I know I'm going a little bit long, but it's too good not to share. I was in Burundi, and I was picking up my two beautiful twins. 
they're just amazing. If you haven't met my, my kids, Kevin and Ines, they're just like the coolest. You know, like I'm envious of how cool they are and they're beautiful and they're awesome and they're so smart and funny. And like Kevin is like super, super funny. Like we were joking around the other night about friends and stuff like that. And he just like, make, he's just hilarious. Like he's just the funniest kid ever. And, and so, but it didn't start there. When we're in Burundi, they didn't speak any English. I somehow did not learn Kurundi in the American public school system. I don't know how I missed that one, but I didn't speak Kurundi. They didn't speak English. And so we're trying to communicate and they're running around like crazy. And we're at this hotel and Liz and I had read about and had knew it was coming that we were in the front end of a long journey of trying to get them from Burundi to our home in Texas. And, and, and we knew that we were going to be by ourselves having to figure it out. We knew all that. But when we're in our hotel day three, it's just like, wow, we felt alone. And we were walking from dinner at our hotel. We're walking and we hear people speaking English. And I'm like, huh? I just like, this is not like, I'm an introvert. People don't believe that, but like, I'm very introverted. And so I'm not like amped to just like go up to people and start talking to them. And I just like go up and I'm like, hi. And they're like, hello. <laughs> How are you? We end up talking. They're missionaries in Burundi. And like, man, look, they just prayed for us. They encouraged us. And I'll tell you, I went from feeling alone and by myself, overwhelmed at the end of myself at day three of my adoption. And then God had somebody for me to remind me I'm not by myself. There's people I don't even know that he has put in places that I'm gonna walk by and hear them and be like, hey! And then all of a sudden I get a word from heaven. I get encouraged because look, we're gonna run into walls in our life. We're gonna run into limitations in our life. We're gonna deal with anxiety. We're gonna deal with depression. We're gonna deal with pain. We're gonna walk through suffering. But those things are not to just reveal that you're weak. They're an invitation for you to lean into the God whose grace is sufficient for you because his power is made perfect in weakness. And so when we hit a wall, we need to lean into his presence. When we hit a wall, we need to go back to the way that we came. When we hit a wall, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to start looking at who I can invest in. And we need to start trusting that we are not alone. Are you with me, church? Can you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us that if we're in a wall right now, if you're running up against something right now in your life, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with depression, if you've hit a wall physically, if you've hit a faith crisis spiritually, if you've got something going on emotionally, we're going to have leaders. They're going to be up here on the wall and, and, and they're here to pray for you. All right. They're here to pray for you because we believe that God wants to meet you in your situation and not leave you to try to figure out your situation. Let's pray. Jesus, would you come right now in the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you fall in it's a mighty way? And would you show us that there's an invitation for us? There's an invitation for us when we run into the limits of who we are, that we can find more of you. We can encounter more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.